We're in Ephesians this morning. We're continuing our series out of this wonderful letter from the Apostle Paul. And we started in Ephesians 1 last week, and we're going to jump to Ephesians 5 this morning. I wanted to set the table so that we could come to Ephesians 5 today because of an important uh, ministry initiative that we're launching today that Ephesians 5 really aligns well with. So we'll come back to Ephesians 2 next week, but we're in Ephesians 5 today. And if you have a Bible and you want to go there, you can go to Ephesians 5, 21 and following. We're talking about marriage today, or uh, in the words of the Princess Bride, marriage is what brings us together today. I wasn't sure about that joke. It was a real iffy iffy one. They crossed that out. It actually went over great in the chapel. So um, they really appreciate the Princess Bride over there. Marriage is what brings us together today. Let me start with a couple of caveats that I think are important. The first is this. I don't pretend to be an expert in marriage. I've been graced with the most wonderful wife who is very gracious to me. And so I'm not going to try to tell you what to do in your marriages today. We're just going to look at scripture and see how marriage fits into the bigger picture that God is doing. Secondly, let me say this, and it's, this is an important caveat to make at the beginning of a sermon like this. I'm going to talk about the importance of faithfulness in marriage. And some of you are in difficult marriages right now. And some of you may be in abusive marriages. And let me say, if that is the case, we want to help you. Okay. We have interceded for others in the past and we will do our best to intercede on your behalf again, if that's needed. And so I'm gonna talk about a difficult topic maybe for you right now, if you're in a difficult marriage. And let me, let me say though, if you need help, I pray that you'll, you'll let us know. And if you are being unkind to your spouse, if you're hitting your spouse, if you're mistreating your spouse, as a minister of God and in the name of God, I command you to stop. Okay, I command you. We take this really seriously here. Okay. And then lastly, some of you are single. Some of you may be widowed or divorced. And let me say, I know a morning like this can be kind of challenging. That's why we don't preach about marriage every Sunday because we know for a lot, you, you are not married, okay? And let me remind you of this, okay? I'm not saying that those who are married are more important than you. In fact, Paul says it's better to be single. Okay, so you just rub that in all those married people's faces, right? Okay, it is better to be single. Okay, what singleness allows you is a missional flexibility that sometimes married folks don't have. It allows you to be on mission for God all of the time. But I also, if you are single or widowed or divorced, I wanna challenge you to tune in this morning, not to tune out because marriages are critical to the greater thing that God's doing that we're gonna look at today. They are so important. They are so important. I not only want you to stay tuned in, but I wanna challenge you to begin daily praying for the marriages at this church, okay? Because this church is a part of something bigger that God is doing and our marriages are really important in that bigger picture. Now, is marriage really that important? Uh, Kramer did not think so. Jerry Seinfeld sees Kramer one day and he says to, to Kramer, well, George Costanza and I had a really interesting lunch today. And Kramer says, really? And he says, yes. He says, we were talking about our lives and we both kind of realized we're, we're just kids, we're not men. And Kramer says, so you asked yourself, is there more to life? <laughs> yes, we did. Well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. 
He goes on to describe how marriages are, are man-made prisons. He says, what are you thinking about, Jerry? Marriage, family, they're, they're man-made prisons. And as an example, he tells him this. He says, you can forget about watching TV while you eat. And Seinfeld says, why? He says, because it's dinner time. And he says, you know what you do at dinner time? You talk about your day. Was it a good day, a bad day? What kind of day was it? It's a sad state of affairs, Jerry. Jerry says, I'm really glad we had this conversation. Oh, you have no idea. I always think about this scene when I'm talking to couples who are about to get married. Because what it speaks to is the expectations that we come into our marriages with. And Kramer has a host of expectations about what marriage is. And his expectations are pretty jaded. But the reality is we all come into marriage with a thousand expectations. And our expectations are based on our own lives. They're based on the marriages that we have witnessed. And they're, they're based on things like, like Seinfeld, okay? But marriage is not what we expect. That's what I tell those couples I talk to who are considering marriage. Marriage is not what we expect. And for Kramer, marriage is much less than he expects or than we expect. And by that, I mean, he does not think that marriage is a part of anything bigger than itself because in Kramer's mind, there is nothing bigger. So there's nothing bigger for marriage to be part of. And so his jokes about marriage reflect his sense of hopelessness in life. And yet you're here this morning because you believe there is something bigger out there. And you have this hope that your life is a part of that bigger thing. And what I want you to see today is it's not just your life that's part of that bigger thing, but your marriage and my marriage that are parts of that bigger thing that God's doing. And so to set the stage for that, we've got to ask that, that question that Jerry Seinfeld is asking to Kramer. And that is, is there more to life? Is there more to my life on this earth? And that's the question that Ephesians tackles head on in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. So let's start there looking at Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. And then we'll come back to 5 in just a moment. He, God, made known to us the mystery of his will. So God's will is what God wants. So the mystery of what God wants, he's about to lay it out in front of us. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So this is what God wants, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And this is it. What God wants is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So this is the big picture. The big picture isn't just God or, or Jesus, those church answers. Okay. The big picture is what God is doing in Jesus to unite everything together. That's what God's doing. And if you are wondering, what is my life about? Pay attention here to Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. Your life is a part of this bigger thing that God is doing. And what's that bigger thing? Well, God's uniting everything together under Christ. That's the bigger thing. Now, I, I'm struck by just how often that question, is my life a part of something bigger? How often that shows up in the media that we consume, the artwork, the pieces of art that we enjoy, okay? I think that question motivates so much of the human experience that we see it all around us all the time. 
consider, for example, the two most important pieces of fiction ever produced, The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, okay? <laughs> in The Lord of the Rings, you've got Frodo Baggins, and he's small and he is insignificant. He has hairy feet and they're gross, right? He lives, he lives in the Shire, which is the middle of nowhere, and he has this uncle who went and had these great adventures and left him this ring he doesn't know what to do with, but Frodo is wondering, is there more to life than this? And by the end of the story, he's saving Middle Earth. Okay. Then you've got Luke Skywalker. He's grown up in the middle of nowhere, Tatooine. He has no idea who his dad is. He has no idea who his sister is. And we wish he, he did because he ends up kissing her and that's really awkward, right? You remember that? He doesn't even know who his sister is. He doesn't know he has the force. And by the end of the series, he's saving the galaxy. And newsflash, if you haven't seen the most recent three, it's the same plot device that shows up again. Somebody who's insignificant turns out to save the whole universe, okay? We're all asking that question, is my life more significant? Is there more to my life? And the answer is yes. In fact, that's the starting point to the gospel story is that you matter enough to God that he sent his son to take hold of you and your small and my small lives and to draw them into something that is much bigger. And why does God do that? Well, we read in chapter one, three times, God does that, draws you into his story for the praise of his glory. God is bringing you into this bigger thing he's doing so that he will be glorified as all things, including you and me, come together in his son, Christ. Rick, Rick Warren says it like this. Some of you have probably read The Purpose Driven Life. This is what he says in The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. Okay, so far from saying that you're insignificant, this is so critical to realize. I do matter, I matter enough that my life is a part of something much bigger than what's going on daily around me. God is drawing me towards himself and towards others so that he might unite all of us under his son, Jesus Christ. You are created for God's purpose and God's glory. And I am created for God's purpose and God's glory. And then here's the rub. Your marriage is created for God's purpose and God's glory. Marriage is one of the first things that God creates. God creates marriage before the fall. He does not create marriage because sin has entered the world and he needs some way to keep these people from, you know, just going wild. So he ties them up into marriages. That is not what happens, okay? Marriage is one of the first thing God creates before the fall in Genesis 2. And we read there in Genesis 2 that the two, the husband and wife, will come together and become one flesh. And a thousand years later, thousands of years later, more than a thousand, thousands of years later, Jesus refers back to creation. And this is what he says about it. This is Jesus talking. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore what God has joined together, 
Let no one separate. Okay, the two become one flesh. Last week we talked about this bigger thing God's doing like a puzzle piece or like Humpty Dumpty that's fallen and broken apart and no one can put them back together. Well, here what you have is this description of two people being joined together in a spiritual bond. You see how that's part of this bigger thing, the God moving these pieces together? And then pay attention here. Marriage isn't just something that God creates a long time ago. It's something that God is still doing. It says God is joining them together. It's like that puzzle all over again. So your marriage is a demonstration of what God is doing with the whole cosmos. He is joining you and your spouse together. Like he is joining everything together under Christ. So why do you think he's doing it? It's not a mystery. It's for his glory is why he's doing it. All right. The best place where we find the description of how marriage fits into the bigger picture of God's in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. So if you've got your Bible and you want to go there, I challenge you to do that. It'll be on the screen behind me. Let's look at this. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he's the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And for this reason... It's that same uh, passage from Genesis shows up again. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Paul's grounding this in what God's always been doing since creation. And this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now I read this passage a few years ago in a different sermon and I asked y'all, is Paul talking about marriage or is he talking about the church? And the answer is yes. Right. Here's the thing. Paul cannot talk about marriage, our marriages, without talking about the marriage of Christ and the church. He just can't do it. Okay. In fact, talking about marriages generally, Christian marriages generally, leads him inevitably to talk more specifically about one marriage, and that marriage is the marriage of Christ and the church. So when Paul looks at Christian marriages, he thinks of the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church. Here's my question for you. <clears throat> when people look at your marriage, do they naturally think then of the marriage of Christ and the church? So when somebody sees my wife and I interacting or you and your spouse interacting, do they immediately then think of, oh, this is like the marriage of Christ to the church? Well, here's the answer. Yes, they do. By God's design, our marriages 
are intended to show the world something about the way that Jesus is married to his bride, the church. That is by God's design. It's just that some of our marriages will give a good picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. And some of them, well, they won't. Some of our marriages are a good reflection of the way that Jesus loves and is faithful to the church. And some of our marriages are, are not, right? And that's troubling to us. And you didn't ask for that. You know, we get married for a thousand reasons and the responsibility for the big thing God is doing and showing the world this big thing that God is doing, that's not typically one of the reasons we get married, right? Um, you know, I got married to Lindsay because she is beautiful inside and out. She is a woman of God. She is tremendous blessing to my life. And every time we went out to eat dating, she always had a little leftover that I could eat off her plate, right? I was like, okay, that kind of sealed the deal, you know? We get married for a thousand reasons and marriage is hard enough without bearing the expectation or the burden that my marriage needs to reflect the marriage of Jesus to the church. I didn't ask for that. You know, it's hard enough to pick what you're gonna eat for dinner that night as a family or who's gonna pick up the kids from school that day or what you're gonna watch on Netflix or who's gonna rub ointment on whose joints that night, right? <laughs> marriage is hard enough. For example, the other night, <clears throat> uh, I'd been making... Um, Lindsay watched Star Wars for several nights in a row for reasons I already explained. And um, so she picked the show this night and, and then she publicly shamed me on social media because this was me about two minutes after we started the show. <laughs> and she wrote that every time I pick a show. I don't remember what show she picked, to be honest. She's got a comfortable shoulder though. Um, yeah, marriage is hard enough without coming into it with the expectation that my marriage has to reflect the bigger thing that God is doing. But here's the deal. You can't have it both ways. You can't hope and pray that your life and my life is part of something bigger, but then conveniently assume my marriage is not. And my marriage is just about me and my spouse. And it's not about something bigger. Because Paul is trying to grab hold of us and shake us and say, your marriage is a critical piece of this bigger thing that God is doing. And your marriage is either going to convince some people that Jesus is faithful to his bride, the church, or it is going to do otherwise. It is either going to draw people to God and the church, or it is going to push them away. But you cannot pretend your marriage is not part of something bigger because it is. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. This is where we're headed in just a couple of weeks. If you look at Ephesians 3, verse 10, you see this really important component of what's happening in Ephesians. In fact, if you want to always remember what Ephesians is about, pay attention to verse 10 in chapters 1, 2, and 3. 1, 10, 2, 10, and 3, 10. We'll come back to 2, 10 next week. But here's 3, 10. His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Okay, remember what I said. 110 is about God's wisdom or plan. His plan is uniting everything. 310, the church's job is to make that plan known to everybody. And that's a big job to do. You see, the church united under Christ 
is a reflection to the world of what eternity is going to look like. Okay, world, one day, this is what it's going to be like. We are all going to be bound together. We're all going to be different. We're going to come from different backgrounds. And we're going to be drawn together by the power of God under Christ for eternity and forever. And if you want to see that in the world, you look to the church. Okay. But what the church has is missionaries that go out from it. And each of you are missionaries for God and singles go out for God and they have their job in the kingdom of God. And what we often fail to fail to see and we often overlook is that our marriages are the way that God sends some of us out into the world. You know, when Jesus sends the disciples out, he sends them out two by two. He sends them out in partnerships and it's a temporary partnership, but it is a partnership so powerful that those disciples return and they say, we saw Satan fall like lightning while we were out there. Jesus says that about what they're doing. Okay. And so what God does is he takes that temporary partnership modeled there in the disciples. Okay. And he makes it lasting in our marriages to our husbands and wives. And the point is this. Okay. Unity in and of itself is not convincing. People get united by hatred. People get united by ugliness. They get united by evil. They get united by tyrants. People don't sign up to be part of unity for unity's sake. But you know what's compelling? Faithfulness. When I go through my life like Kramer believing that I am alone, What I don't long for is unity. What I long for is someone who is faithful to me. And our marriages will either convince the world that Jesus is faithful and that it's worth signing up to be on his team or our marriages will push the world away. But our marriages are a critical part of that bigger thing. And that's a big responsibility. You're part of a big story. And so is your marriage. And so here's here's what I want you to hear today. We want to help. I'm not just challenging you with this burden of my marriage and the bigger picture of God. What I want you to hear today is that this church wants to help your marriage fulfill that purpose. So starting today... The Highland Church and Marriage Ministry is launching one of the most important initiatives that I think we have in recent years. It's called Grace Marriage. And again, I think this is one of the most important things we have ever done. And let me start by saying this is a serious commitment we're asking you to make. We want every couple at this church to sign up for Grace Marriage. This is not just for couples in crisis, This is for every couple here. This is not just for young couples. This is for old couples and every couple in between. Our prayer is that every couple will sign up for this. And let me, let me just share up front. It's a, it's a serious ask. We're asking you to give to us four Saturday mornings of your year, once a quarter, starting February 15th, once a quarter and to come on just on Saturday morning until lunchtime and spend time with us and some trained mentor couples from this church who are gonna be guiding us through a curriculum that is designed to help us better offer grace to our husbands and wives, okay? And you may think like, hey, we've been at this for a long time. We're pretty, pretty gracious. We'll come 
and show those other couples there who are thirsting to see marriages that show them the way that Jesus interacts with the church. Don't stay away for that reason. Come. If your marriage is already abundantly gracious, I want you there even more so. Okay. And let me also say this. It's expensive. There's a cost. But here's our promise. We care so much about your marriage. We'll pay for it. Okay. If you can't pay for it, we'll pay for it. And some of you can pay for two people. You can pay for an extra. Oh, that'd be great. That would be a blessing to us. But I never want the financial burden of anything we're offering to prevent you from doing it because we care about your soul and your marriage. So if that's you, we will pay for it. Today, when you're in your Sunday school classes, you're gonna hear from leaders of Grace Marriage who are gonna come into the class and challenge you to be part of it. And you can ask more specific questions now. I'd really rather not take your questions at this moment, but let me challenge you. I think this is really important because your marriage is so important. And it's important by God's design. And so I wanna challenge you to be part of this. And the last thing I'll say on that is that often in scenarios like this, we think that if we sign up for something like this, it means our marriage is in trouble. Okay, let me just say up front, this is not for those whose marriages are in trouble, it's for everyone. And two, you know who typically signs up for this? The wife. Have you read Ephesians 5, men? It is your job to present your wife before God as a fragrant offering, okay? So do not wait for your wife to beg you at lunch to sign up for this. I challenge you to walk out these doors, go to that table, men, and sign your family up for this right now. Be the leader of your family that you are called by God to be, okay? Don't wait on her to do this. Let me end with a story. Brenda Gardner, one of our um, wonderful women here, married to Ken Gardner. She was working as a nurse in a local hospital about 15 years ago, and she was caring for this older gentleman who was nearing the end of his life. And at his bedside, the whole time he was there hospitalized, his wife sat beside him holding his hand the whole time. And they were laughing about their life spent together and about their kids and everything they had done together. As he was nearing the very end and his breathing became shallow, Brenda invited the whole family who was gathered in the waiting room. She invited them into the room and they all gathered around him. And they began to say their goodbyes and communicate to him how much he meant to them, how he had impacted their lives. <clears throat> he said goodbye and breathed his last holding his wife's hand. And Brenda said she'll never forget what happened next. The very moment he passed, his wife bowed her head in front of the whole room and she began to pray out loud. And she began to praise God for the husband that he'd given her. She began to praise God and the glory of God because this man had prepared her for glory. That not only had he gone on to glory now, but he had prepared her and prepared to this family for glory. And she praised God for it. And Brenda said she knew at that moment that it wasn't just this man that prepared that family for glory, but it was this woman. And it wasn't just this woman who had prepared her family for glory, but it was the two of them together. And in that moment, in that marriage, even as it came to its end on this earth, she saw something that taught her about Jesus and his church. And that kind of faithfulness, when you see it, that kind of faithfulness that transcends life itself, you wanna be part of it. 
And that changed Brenda's life. You know, Brenda and Ken are marriage mentors now. They're gonna be mentors in grace marriage. And you know why? Okay, it's not because their marriage is perfect. If you've met Ken, you know that to be true, right? It is not, it is not because their marriages are perfect, right? It's because the two of them have seen a marriage at least once that taught them something about Jesus. And now that's what they want their marriage to do too. Is your marriage gonna do that? Yes. Let us help you. Let's stand and sing. If you wanna give your life to Jesus today in baptism, I'd love to receive you. We'd also love to pray over you. I've got shepherds in the back. I'll be down front. We'd love to pray with you. Let's sing together. Father, we love you. We love you.